John 14, because that's where we'll spend most of our time today. It's a beautiful passage. It's the night before the cross. It is the the Last Supper. It's what it's called, the Last Supper. It is uh, the, the last Passover he would share with his disciples. Actually, at that point in time, the, <clears throat> the Passover is an authorized ritual kind of ceased to be because it was fulfilled. It was no longer a shadow of the things to come because he was the reality fulfilling the shadow. But it is a great picture, and we at times partake of a Passover meal to remind us uh, as Christians of the symbolism that is used there. And oftentimes it's a wonderful thing to partake of and to enjoy. But the Lord is, uh, he's got four chapters here, 13 through 17, 13, 14, Five chapters here. I knew I counted wrong. But <clears throat> five chapters here that are just loaded with information. When uh, we were putting together, when I was putting together the uh, Gospels in quadraphonic sound, all four Gospels at the same time, and you end up with, with uh, a lot of times just months and years just almost skipped over with not a lot of information. And then you, when you get down to the final week, the week of the cross, the massive amount of information that goes into the scriptures that give us a deep insight into who the Lord is and what his disciples were going to be set in front of him. So this is what, what we have in John 14. It's only a few hours. Jesus, Jesus is going to know that Judas is betraying him. In fact, he's already told John, the one that would betray them. He told all of them one of them would betray him that night, and they were all shocked. That's what Da Vinci tried to capture in the Last Supper whenever he painted that, that picture of the Last Supper was the moment that they were told one of them would betray him. And they would deny it. Makes sense, doesn't it? They were arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom on the way over there. So they would deny that. And um, he would go on to teach them because he's getting ready to leave and he wants them to know what, they're, what they are to expect and what they're going to face. He is functioning as a priest here. He is functioning as a prophet here. And he's functioning as a rabbi or a teacher here in this, what is called the upper room discourse. And it's absolutely beautiful. But what we've been looking at is encouraging one another. Because Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Oftentimes the sermons get all the more as you see the day drawing near and they forget the part that comes right before it. Why do we meet together? Well, we meet together to study the word. We meet together to fellowship. We meet together to encourage one another. And so that's what it says there. In the last days, we meet together to encourage one another. And so... We're going to look down, we started last week looking at the great encourager. Who would this great encourager be? And it just makes sense because when we're told about an office or a place anywhere almost in the scripture like a shepherd, well we have a chief shepherd and a great shepherd. When we're told about teachers, we have the teacher, that is Jesus himself. We find a definite article put in front of that title and it goes with Jesus. And right now... We're looking at an encourager. Who is the encourager? Who would we expect? 
So what are we going to look at in this case study of how did he go about encouraging his disciples? Before we begin, let's just take a moment for prayer uh, so we can push aside all of the weather balloons and everything else that's going on around the world and we can push all that stuff aside and we can focus on what God's word has to say. Let's pray. Father, we are so wondrously blessed and honored and privileged to just be called your kids. And Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be able to meet together still in a free country and be able to open up your word and to sing praise and worship to you. And Father, I pray that that this morning as we look into your word, that the Holy Spirit would indeed enlighten, convict, and challenge each and every one of us so that we can indeed be your witnesses when we leave here this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're at uh, point E on on this. That's why the first uh, four filled in there for you on the, on the handout. But uh, this is an interesting picture of somebody washing another person's feet. And... It's not something we practice here in the United States, but it's something that if you ever get to walk around on a mission trip out in the middle of nowhere and you end up walking around in sandals, one thing you can be guaranteed is your feet are going to get nasty. <laughs> that's just that's the name of that tune. That's the way it works because you're going to be walking through mud and that's some of the nicer stuff you end up walking through and dirt and dust and everything else. And so whenever you come in from a journey like that, it is wonderful to actually get your, get your sandals off and to get, get your feet cleaned up, and your hands cleaned up and washed up in order for dinner. Now, we remember that the Lord sent James or Peter and John to set up the, the Passover meal. He picked those two, not brothers, <laughs> but opposites. Both of them vying for first position in the kingdom. He sent those two out to secure this location and to set up the Passover meal. And we know that that they forgot something. They forgot a servant to wash the other's feet. Now, the first point in this, the reason that it's possible for Christians to meet together for mutual encouragement because we have someone, that's capital S, that will lead us in this endeavor. Yeah, and that's the Lord himself. And he is going to show us how to encourage one another by, by uh, kind of a, a, a picture, an object lesson of what it means to encourage and also what it means to serve one another. It goes beyond that. It's better understood in the light of this conversation that he had with his disciples shortly before his death as they gathered in the upper room for the Passover. There are a lot of things that happened that evening and it troubled these guys. It made them very upset because Jesus was going to wash their feet. Peter and John failed at one of the biggest tests because they didn't have anybody willing to wash the feet. Had they been humbled enough to be one of the leaders in the kingdom because he taught them Earlier that week, in Matthew 23, it's recorded, they said, the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. I'm sure they heard it. They didn't figure out how to apply it. And so they weren't going to be that way. And instead, the Lord got up 
to wash their feet. And it deeply disturbed them, especially Peter. We get more of a narrative that goes with him. And um, it's a... It's a humbling experience to have your feet washed unless you think you're elite and arrogant and better than everybody else in the world. Then you think you're do that. But when you're not really do that and you're just honored by somebody doing that, that is, that is a humbling experience. And so the Lord got up to wash their feet. Now, <clears throat> he had revealed to John Judas would betray him. That's chapter 13. That's leading up to this event. And he said, one of you is going to betray me. And no, 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 not me, not me, not me. And um, he said, yeah, it would. And then to show him functioning as a prophet, he said, I'm going to tell you everything before it happens so you'll know that I am the one. So what he is doing that night is not just teaching them, but he's issuing prophecies that will greatly affect them. And if they will understand those prophecies, they're going to be able to better deal with what's going to happen to them over the course of the next few decades as the church gets, gets founded and started. He told his men they were going to leave, that he was going to leave them. These guys had been together now for three and a half years. They'd camped out together. They had you know, eaten together, taken their food together. They fed multitudes together they had done a lot of things together he says i'm getting ready to leave okay that caught him off guard and he said let not your heart be troubled we know john 14 believe in god believe also in me because i'm going to go prepare a place for you and i'm going to come again and bring you to myself that where i am there you may be also where's he going to the father's house that's what he just said and i'm going to come get you that's the rapture some people Jesus said Jesus didn't uh, talk about the rapture. Well, he did. He didn't use the word, but he did describe the event. I'm going to bring you to myself that where I am there you may be also. So he's going to leave them. And they say, well, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? Show us the way. And we know John 14:6, where he said, I am the way. Remember that? And the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's as dogmatic a statement as you can get, but if he is a lunatic, huh, then why consider it at all? But if he is who he says he is, you better pay careful attention to it. And he proved that he was indeed God in the flesh, and he did so by conquering sin and conquering death and literally rising from the grave. Now that's what he did. So he is worthy of our faith. Not just to sing about in song. The Jews sang songs just like we did. And we sing occasionally, worthy is the lamb. We sing those songs. The Jews sang songs like that, but they didn't believe it. Here is, he said, I'm going to leave you. And he told Peter that he would deny him. That's the end of chapter 13. Now, <clears throat> John 14, I've already mentioned that, because knowing their feelings of uncertainty, he spoke directly to their confused thoughts and emotions. And that's John 14. Some things happened, it deeply troubled them. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Fear not, basically. One of the most repeated commands found anywhere in the Bible, stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. We see fear not and don't realize usually it is a present tense 
with a negative in the front of it, and it means if you're doing it, stop it. If you're not doing it, don't start. So it's stop being afraid. And he dealt directly with this. Now, Jesus' lesson plan, starting in John 14, verse 9, for the last night was right on schedule. Okay, in John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, because Philip said, I don't know the way you're going. How am I going to know? Jesus answered it. Have I been with you so long, yet you have not come to know me, Philip? You might remember Philip was kind of the bean counter. He was one of the ones that was kind of the traveling accountant that went along with him because every time he said, Philip, feed these people. And Philip goes, Lord, it'd take a year's wages to feed all these. He'd already counted the numbers. He'd already calculated the cost. He already knew and it was just that fast. And he said, we can't do it. Why did he pick Philip out to tell him to feed? Okay, that's because Philip needed to learn some things. All you need is the Lord. That's all you need to feed them. So you get what you got, five loaves and two fishes. He takes care of the rest. So he says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Oh, what a statement that is. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Now, Jesus did things only God can do. Works only God can do. Raising the dead wasn't a magic trick of any kind. How many people testified to, to Lazarus being dead? The whole family, the wailing Jews. And yet, what did he do? Arise, come forth, and Lazarus left the tomb. He did things only God could do. He says, so if you haven't quite figured out who I am, look at the works and make the decision. He told them the same thing in John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Now he's talking to a group of 11 people right now. Judas has already left to carry out his betrayal. So he's talking to these 11 guys and he says, i got a special mission for you. And when he sends them out as apostles, then they are going to, to be able to do the miracles, the wonders, and everything else to authenticate the message and, and also, in their case, to authenticate the messenger, that they can do that. And he says, whatever you ask in my name. Now, <clears throat> ask is a ta'o. It's a word means to ask from an inferior to superior. Oftentimes we see ask and we think, well, we can come and demand things from the throne of grace. Not what the word means. That's eratao. It's a different word. So this is a word, whatever you humbly ask in my name, that I'll do. Why? So the Father can be glorified in the Son. Jesus came to glorify the Father, not himself. John 8:54 makes that very clear. If you ask me anything in my name... I'll do it. He says, all right, put me to the test, guys, when you ask. Okay. If you love me, John 14, 15, condition, you'll keep my commandments. He's going to say that two more times in verse 22 and 23. If you love me, 
then you're going to keep my commandments. So what are my commandments? He gave in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. It's not new in respect to, to information because it's found in the Mosaic Law. It's new in respect to quality because Jesus lived it out and showed them how to live it out to love your neighbors yourself, to love your brother. Now, <clears throat> that's his lesson plan because he is getting ready to teach them one of the most incredible lessons ever taught anywhere. Now, though they were not yet, could not yet grasp the total meaning at point F, the apostles were now prepared by Jesus to hear about the next major theological and experiential truth. It's a truth so profound because it made possible for people everywhere to experience the dynamic power of Christianity. John 14, verse 16. We're just reading on through the narrative. He said, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. This is the word parakletos. Now, you might remember our word encouragement in the Greek that we've been tracking through the New Testament. Parakleo means to call alongside. That's a verb. Parakletos is a noun, and it's used to describe the Holy Spirit. It comes from, as, as nouns do, that most of them are derived from the verb form. And this is a very clear picture. The parakletos, paraklesis. He says, and I will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Boy, that's profound, isn't it? They're sitting there. They just finished the Passover meal. And the Lord's going, oh, look at this. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. This is a change of dispensation marker right here. Because under the Old Testament in the, in the age of Israel and the age of the patriarchs back under Abraham, the Holy Spirit was said to be upon believers. But with the church, the Holy Spirit moves inside. Same function, different base of operations. They had the influence from the outside in. We now have influence from the inside out. Now, that's, that's powerful. And all of Christianity can know the, the power of the Holy Spirit within as we battle the works of the flesh, Galatians 5. That is an ongoing war in fact, the uh, English says, New American Standard, that the spirit and the flesh are in opposition to one another. The Greek says they're at war with one another. has nothing to do with, with <laughs> opposition. It's kind of like the Super Bowl later today. I think they're going to be at war with one another. They want to win. Well, the same thing is going on on the inside of us right now. Our flesh refuses to let go. Even though its power has been broken and the Holy Spirit is saying, you got the power. It's not your power, by the way. It's mine. So if you want it, call on it. You can have it. You can, you can have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. It's all yours. Do you want it? That's the question. Now, <clears throat> the, 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 the word helper, parkletos, 
means a counselor. It means an encourager. The word parakaleo is translated several ways, all legitimate. One in, in one place is translate comforter. He's a great comforter, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. One place is called a counselor. We'll see it here. One place is just simply, but it means an encourager, a word we've been looking at. So the Holy Spirit is inside of you to do what? Encourage you. Now, do we believe that? Is that just academic learning? Or is this something that we are trying to, to live our life in the shadow of the Almighty and we're, we're wanting this relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do we want it? Because He will give it to us. He says, if you seek Him with all your heart, you're going to find Him. It's a promise. But notice the condition if we do that. Now, <clears throat> He's called another counselor. And that's point G. And what happened? Never mind. Follow along. Shut this thing down. You know, this hadn't happened to me in 40 years of doing this. <laughs> it's happened three times now in the last month. So <clears throat> you need to pray for me <laughs> more than you already do. Point one under another counselor is four times Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit as a counselor. Four times. In other words, it is God calling us alongside. Parkletos, one who calls alongside. God's calling us alongside. So this is what we are to be to other people, call alongside. See, even leaders... Spiritual leaders are to call people alongside. They're not to be so far in the front, nobody can see them. They're not to be in the back pushing, they're to be walking alongside. That is servant leadership. That's what Christ modeled. That's what is supposed to be modeled in the church. Now, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is a counselor. The second point is what began in God's Son is now focused in the Holy Spirit. What began in His Son is now focused in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, what did he just say? I will give you another one. Now it's interesting because another is alos. And it means of the same kind. Of the same kind of counselor as I am, Jesus, so shall the Holy Spirit be. Had he used the word heteros, which is also translated another. You have to look at the Greek to figure out which one is which. It would have been another counselor of a different kind. The difference, difference there with between heterosexual meaning different sexes is what it's talking about. So it's the same type of, of word that's used there. The Holy Spirit, point three, is another counselor slash encourager of the same kind as the Lord. Of the same kind as the Lord, i.e. he is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is God. One of the proofs of the fact that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all are God. One of the proofs of the Trinity is found right here. Now, point H is the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. <sighs> Three times Jesus referred to the one who was coming as the Spirit of truth. And here are the verse references that are, that are found there. He's called a counselor in four places. He's called the Spirit of truth in the verse we just saw. And if we keep reading, 
15.26 and 16.13, he's the spirit of truth. Now, Jesus described the spirit's five primary functions as. Now, these, these are all important because he's going to tell us what does the Holy Spirit do? Who is he? Well, he's God. Why? He's another counselor of the same kind, so he's got to be God. He's another counselor like that. What does he do? First of all, point A is teaching. In John 14, 26, he says, But the helper, that's our parakletos, our encourager, our comforter, the Holy Spirit, in case you, <laughs> I love this one, when things get, get repeated that don't really need to be repeated, it's in case we forgot from the last time he just said something five seconds ago in this conversation till the time we get here now. So he's talking to the disciples. They've not proven to be very well at hearing and remembering all at once. So he is, okay, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And he will bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Now these are the 11 that are going to go out and, and be the, the foundation part of the church. That's, that's who they are. And, and he said, he's going to come and you're going to remember what I told you over this last three and a half years. Now wouldn't that be wonderful? If we were that way? They had a special, special thing right here that said, yeah, you're going to remember this. Why would he want those 11 to remember such things? Didn't some of them write some scripture? Uh, didn't some of them have a role in it? By the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every fact be confirmed. So if one writes something and Ron writes it from another perspective, they both look at it and go, well, yeah, he's right. Two, it's just different words being used. But it's the same event that is going on. And so he established his witnesses there with a recall that the Holy Spirit was going to give to them so they could authenticate the things that, that happened. The second one, this is point B under H2B, is recall. John 14, 26. And bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Okay, That's a wonderful promise to have. Now, if we approach the scripture that way, and we, we pray, I started praying a long, long time ago. Lord, help me to understand what you're saying. Help me be able to remember what you're saying, and help me be able to use it wisely. And he has blessed me in a lot of ways with that. Now, I'm, I'm getting old and starting to forget some things, like filling out the PowerPoint. But he has been faithful. <laughs> it's not me. I mean, it's not him. He has been faithful to do so. And I think if we make that a part of our prayers, that's a prayer that is in accordance with his will, and he likes hearing those. And we humble ask, Lord, help me understand it. Understand it plainly, clearly, and then help me remember it. And then help me, when it's time to apply it, use it. Not fall back on the worldly wisdom, but indeed look to the divine wisdom. Teaching and recall. The next C is testifying about Jesus Christ. 
Here's the Holy Spirit, John 15, 26. So he has gone on, given them more information, given them the parable of the vine, etc., in chapter 15. And then, John 15, 26, when the Helper comes. You remember that, guys? I talked to you about him in the last chapter. Of course, this is a running conversation. He says, I, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth. Notice how he repeats that again. Who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. Now that phrase, proceeds from the Father, has generated volumes of theological arguments and treatises and everything else. But he said, this is part of the plan. The Son came from the Father. The Holy Spirit came from the Son. And it's the doctrine of procession. But they're all God. They're all eternal. It's the way it's always been. Great mystery, isn't it? I'll have a few questions about that when we get there. But for right now, we just accept it on faith. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal, co-eternal members of the Godhead. Now, <clears throat> testifying about Jesus Christ. He says, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. Now, have you ever tried to be a good witness and gotten God's way? The Holy Spirit inside of us is supposed to be the witness. What do we do? Battle the flesh. What happens? And what, is, what he wants seen is what comes out. The Holy Spirit inside of us is the one that says, Oh, your thoughts are not pure. Need to fix them. Oh, the speech you just uttered, you could have done a lot better <laughs> than that. Or fix it. I get occasionally, fix it. <laughs> Something comes out of my mouth and I go, oh, I wish that wouldn't have come out of my mouth. Once it does, you cannot reach out and grab it and bring it back. And uh, you can really get in trouble when you think nobody can hear you. And they can but God always can. But he wants our thoughts, our speech, and our actions to honor him. Now, if that's what we're doing, guess what? We're being the witness he wants us to be. We are walking in the middle of a crooked and perverted generation as lights in the world. And that's what he's called us to be. So, <clears throat> testifying about Jesus Christ. The, min the ministry of the Spirit to teach, to for recall, for testimony or testifying. The fourth is convicting. John 16, 8. Now this is part of what the world hates. It says, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, what does that mean? I believe it means there's a right and a wrong. <laughs> and no matter what you try to do with it, there's still a right and a wrong. And that's the way it is. There are the, the convicting ministry of the, of the Holy Spirit. Convict the world. Now I've heard pastors argue this passage. It's amazing. They say, well, we're not of the world anymore, so he no longer convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And I thought, I think he would do it more. Okay? We're kids. <laughs> think about it. We're kids. Other people's kids are their problem. <laughs> okay? Our kids... We convict, right, of right and wrong and teach them. That's what we're called to do, what we're supposed to do. Wouldn't the Father do the same for us? We're a family. And I think the Holy Spirit is in work, at work in us so that we recognize when we have stepped out of bounds. 
2 Corinthians 13.5 comes to mind. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. And how do you know that you're in the faith unless you flunk the test? Did that ever bother you? <laughs> how did a failed test teach you anything? Well, a lot of times you can remember the failed test better than the past ones. That's the way it works. And how do we know? When we mess up, we can thank God, the Holy Spirit showed us, we messed up. Because if we want to do things that are pleasing in His sight, we don't want to mess up. We want those mess ups farther and farther away. So the Holy Spirit inside of us has a convicting ministry. I believe it still fully goes on and even to a greater degree than the world. And the fifth one is the leading of the Holy Spirit. Point E. In John 16, verse 13 and 14. says, When He, the Spirit of truth, comes. And see, we started this conversation in chapter 14. And He's talking about the encourager, another encourager like Him, that's coming. He is known as the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of spirits that go out into the world, but there's a Holy Spirit that is sanctified and righteous. The Holy Spirit who is God. And then, who is He? The Spirit of truth. What is His job? When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. That's quite a statement. We're his kids. If we want to know the truth, didn't he teach in John chapter 8, verse 31, 32, if you abide in my word, because his word is truth, if you abide in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. We emblazon that on our courthouses. But they leave out the part about abide in my word. And they put, the truth shall set you free. And then they're free to redefine the truth according to the way they see it. Instead of proclaim the truth the way it is, it comes from the Holy Spirit. And he says, He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. These are these 11 knuckleheads that he's got to go out and win the world. How much does the Lord need? Not a lot <laughs> to go out and change the entire world. And he picked those guys and added Paul in. He had 12 guys that he sent out into the whole world. And the world changed as a result of that. Now these people were obviously well taught. They obviously didn't pay attention from time to time. Because he told them more than once that he was going to die and be raised on the third day. He told them that more than once. And they're still going, oh really? And they were so upset whenever he died. Okay? Hadn't quite grabbed hold of it, had they? He said, He will glorify me. That he here is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. What's his role? To reveal the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He will glorify me, and he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. So what the Son got, he got from the Father, right? John 5. Follow this on through John. He says, 
John 8, you abide in my word. You're truly, you'll learn the, the truth and it'll make you free. And then what did he say in 14, 15, 16? There's a spirit coming. He's the spirit of truth. He is a great encourager and he's going to lead you into all the truth providing you want it and show you what's to come. Because these apostles, Ephesians 2.20, all these apostles he's talking to are also prophets. And out of this apostle-prophet is the foundation of the church. That's what's going to happen. Therefore, the third point, encouraging one another happens when we permit the Holy Spirit within each one of us to communicate. Now, is it going to be an audible voice? Probably not. But if we let him communicate, if we study his word and it becomes a part of who we are, he's going to talk to us through that. He's going to make it clear this is what we need. This is what we need at this moment in time. James 1.5 is so important. He lacks wisdom. Let him ask of God. That's just that's where we all are, I think, all the time, isn't it? We ought to wake up in the morning. So <laughs> I need wisdom for today. <laughs> Not tomorrow, now. Because he says he gives to all men generously and without reproach. So we need to wake up and ask for it. And then, the next verse, don't doubt that he's going to give it to you. And what I found out, he usually doesn't give it early. Okay? (laughs) Oh, Gary Horton. One of our missionaries says, God may wait, but he's never early. <laughs> well, that's timing. It's all divine timing the way he does stuff. Now, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So we obviously, if we want truth, we want to be led of the Holy Spirit. And then we have a promise. And this promise is, he will speak, and if you want it, you can get it. Now, point I is encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Now, while... Waiting in Jerusalem, as Jesus had told them, the Holy Spirit arrived just as Jesus had promised. Acts chapter 2. Okay, He was out walking around on the earth for 40 days after the resurrection, and then the ascension to the right hand of the Father, and then the, the disciples, of, of course, are wandering around, figuring out what we're going to do and all that. And then, just like he promised on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit arrived. Now, Acts chapter 2 has been a chapter of controversy for a long, long time. But what it did show quite clearly was the Holy Spirit arrived and he took up a new residence. You have people, I don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but you have people that were believers and saved under the age of Israel and didn't even know the Holy Spirit had gotten there, John's disciples. And then they, they weren't there to receive the Holy Spirit then. They received it later. That's Acts 10, 11, some of those other passages that cause all kinds of confusion. But they were given this gift. And it was a gift that was part of the fulfillment of Joel too. And it was a thing that said, you're going to speak in, in men of strange lips are going to come to you, Jews, and give you the gospel basically in other languages. Now that very statement it runs through 600 years of Israel's history. Easy. Because after they got taken out to Babylon, a lot of them managed to be dispersed prior to the, the Babylonian captivity. 
they, they, the northern kingdom was destroyed. They took off and they left. And the people, the Jews, started learning other languages other than their native Hebrew and Aramaic. They, and they didn't know what they were. So they would, a lot of them just spoke uh, um, drawn a blank. Spoke different languages of India because they set up in the, in the 400s B.C. They set up a uh, uh, synagogue there on the west coast of India and they had other synagogues. Another one set up in Mumbai up to the north. So they had already set those up and they didn't know these languages. When you came into Jerusalem and up come up three times for the feast and all that, and the Jews coming up there, they had 26 different synagogues that spoke different languages because the people didn't speak the native Hebrew or Aramaic anymore. So they were able to communicate to them. Now, what is this gift? They call it tongues, and it kind of gets mysterious. It's glossi is the word that's used for it. And when you track it down, it's a language. It is a known human language that has not been taught in an educational system. I don't speak Malayalam. Malayalam is a language of southern India. If I had the gift of languages, I could walk into southern India and I could speak Malayalam. And what's the proof? The Apostle Thomas. Because what did he do? Started on the west coast of India, walked all the way across the subcontinent, I asked some Indian pastors there one time, how many languages are there between the west coast and the east coast of India? He said probably about 200 was the answer, which I find interesting. India is the place at the Tower of Babel where all the leftovers were sent. <laughs> I mean, there were so many different languages and they've got the, the Bible translated in over uh, 200 languages of India, the Bible Society there already but he went all the way to the east coast of India and on the east coast he was martyred he went all the way across the subcontinent evangelizing and the church still remains the Lord will sell them in this night your fruit will remain one of the churches the church of St. Thomas still remains in southern India that was started by the apostle carried on now, where it is theologically is another discussion, but they, it is still still there. But he, had, he didn't have time to learn all those languages as he went across the subcontinent. What did he need? A language to communicate. What did the Jews learn? Somebody communicating to us. How are these guys, being from Galilee, speaking to us in our own language? Acts chapter 2. See, they were speaking in the language that they came from and learned, not, into the, not in the native Hebrew. So <clears throat> this, is, this is Acts 2. The Holy Spirit arrived. Something special, something unique, something beautiful that was there to show the Jews that this was a sign from God, that things had changed. Pentecost was picked because it's 50 days after <clears throat> The Jews walked out of Egypt. They got the law on Mount Sinai. So it was used to denote a changing of the law. Hebrews 7.12 says where there is a change of priesthood, of necessity, there's a change of law. So if you're going to change the priesthood from being a Levitical priesthood offering animal sacrifices to a royal universal priesthood, which is us and the church, you need to change the law. 
That's where you mark dispensations. I think with a more objective picture than sometimes that they are, are marked. Now, while waiting in Jerusalem, this is the disciples. The second point, the promise that he would send them another encourager was fulfilled when the Holy Spirit came revealing truth. In fact, the book of Acts is called subtitle Acts of the Apostles, but really the Acts of the Holy Spirit is a better, better way to describe it because it is taking the, the, it is taking the, the spread of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit out into the ancient world. The Lord said, start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. And here, look at these verses. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria (coughs) enjoyed peace, being built up, going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort, parklesis, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Acts 14, and after they had preached the gospel to that city, made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So see what the early church was doing? It was encouraging one another. And the writer of Hebrews, prior to 70 A.D., when they're all dispersed, they come together for mutual encouragement of one another. Hang on. Do what we're called to do. Persevere. Endure. You're going to have great rewards in heaven if you do. The means of encouragement was God's message of the person of Jesus Christ. Point three. The means of encouragement was God's message of the person of Jesus Christ. Who did the incur- What did the Holy Spirit reveal? It wasn't about him. It was about who he revealed. The Holy, who did the Son reveal? The Father. Who did the Holy Spirit reveal? The Son. Okay, so he, the Holy Spirit didn't make the message about him. He made the message about the Son. And so <clears throat> the person of Jesus Christ, he will tell you about me. That's what Jesus said. Now, the Holy Spirit and the 21st century Christian, God's primary means of encouraging Christians everywhere is with the truth about Jesus Christ that is revealed by the Holy Spirit through His Word. The primary means of encouraging Christians everywhere is with the truth about Jesus Christ that's revealed by the Holy Spirit through His Word. Romans 15, verse 4. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Wow. The truth about Jesus Christ. Is anybody rooting for the rapture? to show up anytime yeah we are you want to get here faster go tell more people about Jesus you want it faster why because there's a certain amount of people that he's allocated 
that is there for the body of Christ, when the body of Christ gets complete, the bride of Christ gets complete, all the body parts are complete, whenever that's all done, no reason to stay any longer. He's going to call us home. Come pick up his bride. So we need to just tell people. Tell people about the Lord. Say, I don't know how to do it. The Holy Spirit in you does. That's what we forget. Sometimes we want a formula. Tracks are useful and tracks are helpful. I, I only know one person that got led to the Lord. And it was by, it's interesting, by a pastor that later went wacky. But he was working in a, in a bookstore. And somebody came in and said, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> and, so, and he didn't have a good answer. So, and here's a pastor, already pastor in a church. He didn't have a good answer. He said, so I went and got the four spiritual laws from Campus Crusade. <laughs> and I read it to him. And he said, and they got saved. That's what happened. So if you got a brochure, fine. If you can say it in your own words, better. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not to write the scripture, but under the enlightenment, and then he's coming through, and that's where the power comes from. We have no power of our own. Anything comes through us is of the Holy Spirit that is good. So the second point is spirituality is by faith and surrender of our will to the Lord. So is our ability to encourage one another or even to be encouraged. When we were doing summer camps a long time ago, one of the things we harped on to the, to the kids and the adults and whoever else showed up, God doesn't need your ability. He needs your availability. Because <laughs> did, you, did uh, Philip have the ability to feed 5,000 people plus the women and children? No. What did he tell him to do? Go see what you got, Philip. And what did they do? They made careful search and found five loaves and two fishes. Oh, it's not enough. It's not enough. Can you imagine those 11 disciples lined up? Because who did he make distributed? The 12 disciples, counting, counting Judas then. Can you imagine these 12 disciples lined up to get their baskets full of fish and bread, and Jesus is breaking them from five loaves, and two fishes. And he is breaking and filling these baskets. Now can you imagine. Thomas showing up. <laughs> Thomas probably got in the back of the line. Speculation here. <laughs> we'll ask him. He got in the back of the line. And he said he's going to run out before he gets to me. And Jesus probably said. Come back and get another one. <laughs> when you're done. Because <laughs> he filled those. And then how much extra did he have? Twelve baskets. See, a little in the hands of the Lord is a lot. He doesn't need our ability. He needs our availability. And if we will walk by faith, it's amazing what he'll do. Galatians chapter 3. The book of Galatians, first book that Paul wrote, second book of the New Testament. And he starts off with talking to them about the gospel. He said, if iron angel from heaven comes to you with a different gospel, don't listen to me. Okay? Paul said, admits, he said, I can get messed up. But he came to him with a gospel of salvation by grace through faith. And he said, if I come with something different, don't listen to me even. Because the gospel is very simple. 
And then he goes in to talk about an argument he had with Peter in chapter 2. And they are talking with each other in front of the council. And Peter had been listening to the wrong crowd that infiltrated Christianity with the issue of circumcision. And, and Peter was starting to fall prey to that. And so they had a nose to nose. You just read it in Galatians 2, the first 10 verses. They had a nose to nose conversation with one another. And finally, uh, Peter woke up uh, about that because he knew salvation by grace through faith, but he had bought into the works crowd. Okay? So in chapter 3, continuing the conversation, you foolish Galatians. <laughs> Paul was such a politically correct person, wasn't he? <laughs> All right, here he is, Paul. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, when the gospel was given, what happened? He told them about what happened. Paul told them about what happened with Jesus Christ. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. And Paul, early on, has got a touch of sarcasm in some of his writings. And here's one of them. Did you receive the Spirit, Holy Spirit, by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? How'd you get the Holy Spirit to begin with? The Holy Spirit inside of you and dwelling inside of you. How did you get him in there? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing coupled with faith? He will say a little later on he, that he, he gets pretty graphic in this thing. He says that, uh, you know, you might as well, if you're going to go through and start trying to get the Gentiles to be to accept circumcision, you're doing the wrong wrong thing. You're going about it in the, in the wrong manner. He will uh, again say in chapter 4, it's beautiful to, to go through, and he gives an allegory, the only sanctified allegory we find in scriptures in Galatians chapter 4. And then he says, My children, with whom I am again in labor, until Christ is formed in you. Another powerful statement. Because what happens when we believe in Christ? The Holy Spirit moves inside. And he starts his work. But Christ is not yet formed in us. They didn't lose their salvation. At all. And just read the book. They didn't lose their salvation. We are entered into union with Christ. We are positionally there in Christ. So we are in Christ. The Holy Spirit is in us. And he says, till Christ is formed in you. What does that say? The Holy Spirit, who is revealing truth, is letting you know more and more about Christ so you will be like him. Conformed to his image. In your thoughts, your speech, and your in your actions. And then chapter 5 is for freedom that Christ set us free. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh through love. Serve one another and fight this battle with the, between the spirit and the flesh.
fight it. Now, <clears throat> our ability to encourage one another even to be encouraged. Our surrender of our will to the Lord. So our ability is all up to Him. The last point that you have on your handout, realizing that the Holy Spirit is in the business of encouraging believers. And even unbelievers to accept the gospel hopefully lets us be more open to him working through us to accomplish this task. Now some people, they get in Bible churches and they hear about the Holy Spirit and they see things that going on in spirit-filled churches or whatever you want to call it, things they don't like to see, and they get afraid of the Holy Spirit, want to wall him off. It's not what we're supposed to be. Not where we're supposed to be at all. Because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. We should seek to develop a relationship with the Father. How do we do that? Because it's His plan. With the Son, because He executed it, He carried out the plan. And with the Holy Spirit, because He revealed it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Well, we have a thing called faith, hope, and love. The object of our faith is what is important, and that's about the Son. The Holy Spirit brings with Him, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, what's the Father about? This amazing plan that He's laid out the end from the beginning. And we have a hope, a confident expectation that the Lord is going to carry out every jot and tittle of it. As we look at what's going on around the world... Just a couple of comments in closing. This thing is coming so so much together so fast. It is absolutely amazing to see the, the nations that need to be there all in place. To see the attitudes that need to be there. In James chapter 5, it talks about your rich people were the great people, the powerful people of the earth. And then we get a little blip of the World Economic Forum. And we see this group of people that thinks that they indeed are just that and are totally, completely elite and above everybody else and that they have the right to play God and rule over the rest of the world. And so much has said that in some of their conversations. Things are coming together. It's amazing. There's always been rich people in the world. But to be able to come together and at the speed of light communicate with one another and carry out what they want to carry out, Never happened before. All the blanks are filling in. So is the trumpet ready to sound? I think so. What if it doesn't? Am I going to lose my hope and be shattered? No, what I do know and my hope is in is I know it will be at the perfect time. The perfect time the trumpet's going to blow and he's going to raise us imperishable, immortal, in a new body forevermore. What a blessing that will be. Let's pray. Father, it's been a a good day, another good day, being able to assemble together with with, uh, other members of your family. We're all family. Father, what a blessing indeed that is. And Father, to be able to come together and open up your word, to be challenged, to be reminded of what you have told us already, to be uh, encouraged to... Forget the past, or to learn from the past and live for the future. Father, those things are, are important principles. 
that has come through your word. I pray that we will remember them this week. Father, I pray for the strength to be able to apply them properly. I pray we'd be conduits for the Holy Spirit inside of us to offer up uh, encouragement and, and good words in the gospel to those who are in such desperate need. Father, I just pray you'd use us this week to your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.